Coming up on the show, I talk with Jeff Lamb, psychotherapist all the way from England, so stay tuned. Hello, Aspies, and welcome to another edition of Inside the Asperger Studios. Today, I'm joined with Jeff Lamb, all the way from Jolly Old England, who's a psychotherapist, specializes in communications and relationships. Jeff, welcome to the show. Hi, it's a pleasure to be here. So, tell us a little bit about yourself, and some of the listeners have some idea. I've been... Okay, so I've been practicing as a psychotherapist for 35 years, um, and my specialism currently is in, as uh, you were saying just now, in uh, relationships, um, particularly about communication, which is the foundation of a good relationship. So I was very excited to be invited onto the show to talk a little bit about this and hopefully what I say might be helpful to people. Okay, so let's get on with some of the questions. Um, One of the questions I have is, what advice do you have for those on the spectrum who deal with anxieties while in a relationship? Okay, I thought about this question quite a lot and what conclusion I came to is that relationships are always going to make person feel vulnerable because if you're in a relationship, you're effectively sharing yourself with another human being and uh, that human being is going to find, find out all about you. So in a way, anxiety is inevitable. So if we accept that anxiety, rather than trying to fight against it or put up barriers to it, that it, it then the anxiety will actually diminish its power. It's only when we're trying to fight it that we actually give that anxiety more power. So, you know, that's, I mean, and, and, you know, okay, so uh, relationships are going to be uh, anxiety-provoking for all of us in, in, our, in our own ways. And if you're on the spectrum, I guess that becomes more um, pronounced. You can tell me that, Reid. I'm not yes. um, an expert in the spectrum yes. myself. In, in, so, with those of us on the spectrum, anxiety is more pronounced because the fears yeah. tend to build more. And then right. we, we, okay. we tend to overthink that's, a lot of things, a lot of... That's the thing, isn't it? So, yeah, and thank you for sharing that. I think it's useful because if you... The overthinking often becomes uh, an attempt to allay the anxiety. And so you end up playing a kind of game of chess with yourself so if my you know if the other person does this then I'll do that and if they you know and I, and I you you either plan a conversation or you rerun a conversation or the exchange that happened that's all involves not accepting the anxiety or not accepting the reality of the situation that you're in you do what you do in the relationship, you are the person that you are, the other person has a response to you, and none of that is controllable. If we accept that, it's much less hard work. Does that make some it sense? Does. I mean, because I know in experience, when I've been in a relationship and we've broken up, I tend to overthink what I do, and then it just like dwells in my head and I just don't like let it go. Even 
in real life with job situations, if I get let go, I tend to overthink what did I do? What did I do? What did I do wrong? And it just sits there and dwells and dwells and just builds up and just builds this anxiety of fear and dread. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This assumes that you are in control of the situation and that if you'd done a different thing to control the situation differently, a different outcome would have happened. On one level, that's quite an omnipotent position to take. Life is unpredictable. Human beings are unpredictable. The idea that we can control what goes on either in our working lives or in the relationship, is absurd. You know, we, of course, everybody does their best to make sure they do a good job or that they're as considerate as they can be within a relationship. Um, Nobody's suggesting that we don't have to care about it. But there's a limit to that. You do your best, and that's good enough. Okay. On to that, um, the next question I have for you is, how can those of us break our shyness barriers when we're in a relationship? Because I know okay. a lot. This is on. interesting. Please. Because I know a lot of us on the spectrum are shy. They're like, you know, we're introverted. So it's, it's yes, hard to yes. communicate when you're in that relationship. How do you break that sure. barrier? It's interesting. There seems to be a pressure from society that everybody should be outgoing and uh, communicative. And that can be a pressure that we might apply to ourselves. The reality is that um, some people are more shy, more self-conscious than others. And as you say, particularly people on the spectrum. But that's nothing wrong with them. It's not, you know, it's not, it's not a hanging offence. So you maybe find it difficult to express yourself, to put yourself forward. Part of this is about accepting yourself as the person that you are. And life, I find, is very paradoxical in this respect. If you can accept yourself for who you are, the shyness becomes less powerful in your life because you know that actually I'm all right, even if I say the wrong thing, you know, or what I think of as might be the wrong thing. I'm not an awful person because of that. I'm still a human being. I'm still the same human being that I was. And if you accept yourself, then when you feel like joining in a conversation or when you're in a kind of relationship situation, if uh, you want to share something with your partner, when you feel ready to do that, you do it in your own time. Maybe if that's a problem for your partner, maybe they're with the wrong person. All right, that kind of makes sense. All right, next Mm -hmm. question is, what is your advice on how those on the spectrum can be more social in the dating scene? Yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, it's been a long time since I've been on the dating scene. Um, so I don't know whether I can comment too usefully about that. But obviously what we're talking about is meeting someone yeah. for the first time. You know, the mechanics of dating has changed completely since I dated anybody other than my present wife who I've been married to for 35 years so (laughs) I knew her for three years before that so it's been a while but you know um, meeting someone for the first time is always going to be a challenging experience because you want them to like you you want them to get on with you you want them to appreciate you and accept you So there's two avenues we can look at with that. One is it comes back to what I was talking about under the heading of the last question, is accepting yourself for the human being that you are. This is difficult. Most people in the world find this this really hard, and a lot of people are constantly making a lot of effort to get themselves accepted 
in the real in, in the real world by other people. Okay, and that applies to everyone, even extroverts. Some people who see themselves as extroverts, what you would call extroverts. A lot of it's an act, mm-hmm. you know. It's a shell. It's a persona they put on in order to become accepted. So when you're on the dating scene, my advice would be just to be the person that you are. If you try to be someone that you're not, people are going to spot that. And it's going to make you nervous. You're ending up putting on a performance. And like any performer will tell you, everybody gets performance nerves, Mm -hmm. you know. So, again, accepting that actually when I meet someone for the first time, both of us are going to be a little bit anxious. So he or she I'm meeting is going to be wondering what I'm going to think of them and I'm wondering what they're going to think of me. You know, it's one of those things. It's a paradox again. Of course, when you go on a date, it's really important to you. You want to meet someone who you hope you're going to make a relationship with. That's the idea of going on a date. But you also have to not allow it to matter too much, okay? If this person doesn't like the person that I am, then maybe it wouldn't have been a very good relationship anyway. Okay. So. All right. On to the next question is, how can you keep a relationship from falling apart? Okay. This is where communication becomes really, really important. So however easy or difficult you find it, keep the dialogue going with your partner. Even if you go into the conversation and you have no idea how you're going to express what you want to express, if I can share something from my own experience, I know every relationship goes through difficult phases and certainly mine did and I needed to start a conversation with my wife that went something like well don't know how I can say this but um, something's not right here and I don't know but I do I I know I need to say something you know and I was that inarticulate Mm. and it was the best conversation we ever had because what communicated itself to her was that I cared about the relationship and I wasn't happy with the way it was and that I was inviting her to explore it with me. Okay. If you do that, however well or easy you find it to express your feelings and emotions, nobody finds it that straightforward. I, I'm, I've, as I say, I'm an experienced psychotherapist, but in my own relationship, <laughs> I got as inarticulate as probably most people do. So, you know, don't worry about how it comes out. Start from where you are. This is what I'm feeling at the moment. I don't know how to express this to you, but I want to express something to you because, you know, you know. equally it can be the opposite way around. It could be something really nice is happening in the relationship which you want to share to your partner, with your partner. So don't hold back on that either. Even if you feel like, oh, I'm really clumsy with feelings and I don't understand words and, you know, whatever, you know, the sentiment will get itself across. Okay. And whoever it is on the other end will appreciate the fact that you bothered. And so that's the expressive side of it. The other side is listening. Listening is something most of us aren't trained to do. Women do it better than men on the whole. But, you know, even some women find this difficult. When my partner comes to me, and says she's not happy, or it could be a he, it doesn't matter, could come to me and say, I'm not happy with this that's going on in the relationship. There are several tendencies we might have. One of them would be to feel attacked or criticised. The other one would be to feel like I've done something wrong. 
And then the third is something needs fixing and I've got to come up with a solution. None of those are helpful. It may sound like, uh, you know, a contradictory thing to say, but when your partner is communicating something in the relationship to you, even if it sounds negative, don't take it personally. That's the big thing I understand. If my part, yeah, it sounds crazy, but it makes sense. It's, it's a personal relationship, but don't take it personally. When your partner makes a statement in the relationship about something they're not happy with, that is a statement about them, not necessarily a statement about you. What I could say from my experience in relationships is that things that are a problem in relationships are very rarely caused by the partners in the relationship themselves. What happens is that the issues or the difficulties are triggered in the relationship by what happens. But the part of the issues already existed, the, the, the strong emotional response that we have to our partners already exists and it probably comes from somewhere back in our okay. past. Okay. So if you know that, then you don't have to feel so over-responsible for what your partner feels about you in the relationship. We have to be accountable in our relationships for how we behave. And if our partner has a problem with how we're behaving, then, you know, there might be something that they might need us to change or to think about changing or to be aware of and understanding of. But that's not the same thing as all the guilt and uh, kind of agony that goes on in relationships where we feel like we failed or we're a terrible person or we don't know how to do relationship because our partner has raised an issue. So make the space for that. If you can do both of those things, that's to say expressing what you truly feel without being too worried about the you know, words that you use, and to also be there and listen and try and understand what your partner is saying to you rather than getting caught up in your own guilt and bad feeling about yourself then that will help keep the relationship from falling apart. Very interesting at all. I mean, I've been a very big proponent of communicating within a relationship, expressing yourself to whoever you're with, because if you don't tell the other person how you're feeling or what's going on, or if you sense the relationship yeah. is falling apart, and if none of you say anything, it's just going to happen. But if someone steps forward yes. and expresses it, the two of you can come together yes. and fix it. That's right. Yes, yes. But it needs the other person to listen, must be willing mm -hmm. to listen, and not to get too defensive. What I find in my couple work, but particularly when the couple comes to me at first, is one person will say something that's bothering them and the other immediately comes in, well, I didn't do that, that often or I haven't done it lately or if I did, there was a reason for me doing it. The defensive mechanism. By the time you've done that, you've stopped listening to the person who has the issue. You're more, you're more concerned with your own ego than you are with your partner's happiness or, you know, the, the, the success or failure of the relationship. This is why a lot of relationships fall apart. Because of non-communication. We're, we're wedded to our own Because ego. of non-communication. Well, it's the non-communication, but the non-communication happens because we're more interested in our own ego or self-image mm -hmm. than we are in what our partner has to say which could be to the benefit of the relationship. Yeah, I get that. A lot of people, when they when someone becomes accusatory in a relationship, the other person becomes yeah. defensive. That's right. Thanks for bringing that in because it's, it allows me to also mention that your partner will not necessarily communicate their concerns in a way that's kind of user-friendly. Mm -hmm. 
like a lot of us maybe uh, in management or whatever if you at work you do go course to courses to how to give feedback how to give positive feedback um and maybe people do at work but in relationships people don't do that people just let it all go <laughs> and we you might have to do uh, and, and you know obviously that's um difficult one of the things that you can do that makes life easier is what i call making i statements rather than you statements so if you say i feel uh lonely in this relationship or i feel uh abandoned when you don't talk to me for days or whatever that's a statement about mm-hmm. me that's how i feel doesn't mean to say you've done anything wrong but this is what i feel okay if the norm is to yes as you say get accusatory so you say you never you always you do this you do that that's going to put the other person on the defensive immediately but you have to one of the other things that keeps relationships together is having a little bit of tolerance for each yeah. other's humanity we're not going to get things right for each other all the time so we in the heat of the moment when things are happening you know we lose our temper with each other we get grouchy yeah you know? i've always said and there is not one couple where both have the same likes everyone's it's always going to be a little bit of oil and vinegar this is true yeah 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 it's a question of how you deal with that isn't it but when you get in those moments where things do get a bit stressful <laughs> we had i i was telling you before i we just moved into a new house and we've been through a lot of stuff you just about that and lost our temper mm-hmm. with each other but the question is what do you do about it afterwards so you apologize the apology costs nothing you know you were getting grouchy because you were stressed about whether the money would come through from the sale of the house to pay for the new house or whatever it might be and you know whether the removal men were going to break the furniture or you know all that sort of stuff so you can it's very easy once you've calmed yourself down to just say look i'm sorry i didn't mean any of that what i said to you and it's over mm-hmm. it's forgotten so apologies are yeah. useful in relationships not falling apart now what coming up moving Moving on, on to the next question i mean do you have any tips or tricks with communicating within a relationship to help those out how to communicate better sure i've kind of answered a lot of that just now but you know um staying open to different perspectives is quite important um um not letting as as you said earlier not letting things build up so they become enormous issues dealing with things to say mm-hmm. go along having some humor being able to not take yourself yeah. too seriously that's a useful thing having other things outside the relationship which don't so means the relationship isn't so pressurized so that you get fulfillments not just from within the relationship but outside the relationship those are all, all useful things but as they most of the tips i've given already outside the relationship. i mean how can those of us on the spectrum get ourselves out there to enter the dating scene Because I know coming from mm. my point of view, a lot of people have come to Go me on. and say, have you tried a dating site? Or have you done this? Or have you done that? And it's scary. Because you, unless yes. you have enough self-esteem, you're good looking, and you're not afraid to put yourself out there, there are those of us who are just so scared of socialization and afraid of rejection. It's frightening. Sure. Okay. That 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 is challenging. It's very challenging. 
Um, so I don't think there are any magic formulas I can give you here that would make it considerably less challenging. I think some of the things I've already said, this is going to sound like a lot of repetition, but maybe good ideas are worth saying more than once. So um, if you're finding this challenging so that it paralyzes you, which I think a lot of people do, that's partly because you have the idea that other people don't find it challenging. So you're kind of thinking about it as there's something not normal about me because I'm so concerned about this. Maybe, I don't know. It's all the individual, but... Um, so letting go of that idea, because anyone who says they don't find it challenging doing that is putting on some kind of a front, <laughs> I would say, you know. And just maybe being aware of that as a reality is useful. Having said that, probably, mm, I suppose it's an equivalent of not being taking it too personally. You know, with dating sites, I guess there is an element of sort of, I don't know, casting your net quite broadly in terms of, you know, who you decide to contact, who you like the look of, and so on and so forth. So in a way, it may, that could take the pressure off you, like saying, well, you know, let's take this very slowly, you know, and meet up with this person. What's the worst thing that can happen? Well, we maybe don't hit it off fair enough. There's a lot of other people on the dating site that I can go and see. And, you know, if you talk to people, I don't know whether that might be a useful thing to do. Talk to other people who do use the dating sites and say, well, you know, how many roughly people do you meet before you meet someone that you click with? I don't know what that figure might be because it's been a long time. But I don't think there were dating sites when I was last dating. Uh, I met my wife in about 1983. I think the internet was fairly primitive then. <laughs> so, you know, um, but, uh, you know, I do have clients who, who, who will use the dating sites. And the impression I get is that you've got to see quite a large number of people before you click with them or they click with you or there's that mutual spark. So I think you, you, you know, you have to not have very high expectations when you go into it. It might be good uh, or, you know, or it might just be so-so, but you know, what are you going to do? You're going to meet up for a coffee and maybe go for a walk, meet up for a drink or something like that. And maybe you'll just have a nice time meeting a new person and mm -hmm. enjoy that, enjoy it for that. If it happens to work, okay. Um, but, you know, talk to other people maybe who are in the same position because you'll find there's a lot of common ground, uh, you know, and then you can at least compare notes and say, well, I, you know, this is what I did and this worked for me, you know. Yeah. I think that's probably as much yeah, I can say on that. What is your advice on keeping a relationship strong? Keeping a relationship strong. Okay. <clears throat> Other than what I've said already in terms of the communication, what I said, I've already mentioned having interests outside the relationship as well, not being... <coughs> Sorry, um, not being too dependent on the relationship for all your satisfaction. I think the other thing, maybe, is letting go of the idea that a lot of people have that relationships are about making the other person happy. Hmm. There's a lot of mythology about relationships, and that's one of them, you know, that, you know, if you meet the man or woman of your dreams, that's going to make you happy. No, it won't, unless you were happy to start with. 
you're responsible for your own happiness. And if you're not happy with your partner, as we were saying earlier, you need to communicate that, okay? The other myth about relationships, which I maybe haven't mentioned, is that there is one right person out there for each of us, you know, or, you know, so there's a limited field. This is just not true. There's any number of people that you could get together with and make the relationship work. You know, that may sound a little bit indiscriminate, but really, you know, what constitutes, um, you know, this kind of spark that people talk about is not as kind of, man- I mean, it, there's a romanticism, I don't get me wrong, I'm quite a romantic in many ways, but, you know, it isn't a matter of meeting Mr. or Miss or Ms. Wright, you know. Mm-hmm. You, you, you can meet a person, often when you meet a person, maybe you don't like each other that much, but somehow or other you meet them again or whatever, it depends on the context in which you meet them. Somehow or other, something happens, something magical happens, and you find yourself liking that person. <laughs> Where I'm talking a lot about my own relationship, but why not? It's, it's, the, it's what I know best. When I first met my wife, I had a big argument with her. It was in a kind of conference, and uh, we ended up disagreeing quite, you know, kind of vehemently with each other. It brought us together. Mm. <laughs> I thought, I really like this woman because she can stand up to me. You know, she can give me a good fight. <laughs> I appreciated that. Um, so I don't know. I've deviated from the topic a bit. We were talking about uh, keeping a relationship yeah. strong, I think. You know, so, you know, I think, but that that's, a, that's perhaps the, where, where that's relevant is that maybe... You don't have to expect it to go smoothly all the time. In fact, it won't. Um, I have some very good colleagues who wrote a book. Um, it was called Love, Sex and the Dangers of Intimacy. And uh, if you want, uh, Reid, I can give you the details of that afterwards if people yeah, are interested yeah, in Yeah, I'll that share up. that with my audience. I'll put that in the show notes. Okay, um, you can Google it, it comes up, it's published, it's on, on Amazon. Um, but what their, their theory is that all relationships go through a honeymoon period, and which I guess is fairly common knowledge, but, um, you know, what you do is what you do after that honeymoon period is over, and you suddenly wake up and you think, well, who the hell is this who I've found <laughs> in my relationship, you know, what do we do about that? This is where the communications has to start. And so you start to communicate with each other and you have to let go of lots of ideas. When we first meet someone, we often project a kind of ideal on them, you know, in that honeymoon period, we think this is the person who really gets me, who's really going to understand me, who really is going to be the love of my life. And nobody can sustain that for a lifetime. And, you know, I certainly think that relationships can last a lifetime. Mine certainly has. But, you know, it's up to you. I'm not going to have any judgments about that, but it's my experience. But, you know somehow letting go of that idea that this person is the one who's going to make me feel understood, accepted, a real man or a real woman or whatever, is really vital. If you're still living in an idea that if I meet the right person, they will make me feel good, then I won't have to worry anymore. That's not going to work. It, It never has worked and it never will yeah i know that with my friend he thinks his boyfriend is it but he and he keeps getting this fear in his mind of oh he's gonna leave me for someone better and i keep saying no he's not he's told me that you two are good for each other 
Okay, that's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, we do become dependent on our partner when we feel that then they're the only one who can meet our need for self-esteem. I mean, you were talking mm-hmm. about self-esteem earlier. Our partner cannot make us feel good about ourselves. Sure, partners can be sympathetic, and if you've had a really bad time at work or something, and you can offload it, and that's really nice. But if you really don't feel good about yourself, however much love your partner pours into you, you still won't end up feeling good about yourself. And this kind of concept, I mean, I don't know the, this couple that you're talking about, but, you know, it sounds to me like, uh, you know, the person who's worried about the other guy leaving him is deeply insecure. Yeah. You know, and if you if if you're not looking at that in yourself and saying to yourself, well, what makes me so insecure? And you know, I would of course, as a psychotherapist, say, well, you need to go and get some personal therapy to work out why you're so insecure. That might not be everybody's route. There are other routes available, but you know, but it's it's your problem. And you, you can't expect your relationship is going to give you that that uh, security that you don't feel inside you. All right, moving on. What is? How do you manage long distance relationships so they work to your benefit? Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Um, long distance relationships um, they are tricky. Mm. I mean. Are you talking about the kind of relationship where somebody, for, I don't know, reasons of work or nationality, is living in one country and someone's living in another, for example, and they meet occasionally? Would that be the sort of thing you mean? Because my friend, I mean, he lives in one city and his boyfriend lives like three hours away, so so it's kind of like a long-distance thing, and he only sees them maybe every few months. Sure. That is difficult. I don't know a technique particularly for managing that. I guess at some level, you might need to think about, well, why are we doing this? I mean, if it's absolutely essential for work, that's, that's, one of, that's, a, that's a tricky thing. But usually, um, it might be possible for either one or both of you to move so that you can be a little bit closer. It depends what the couple wants in their relationship. Because I'm wondering, sometimes that can be an avoidance of intimacy. You know, if you have a relationship like that, one possibility, it going back to what I was saying about this honeymoon phase, that you never have to let go of that because if the per- if you don't see each other very often then every time becomes a new first time if you see mm-hmm. what i mean so you don't have to deal with the tensions and the difficulties of living in close proximity to another person um now again it's a free world people can decide for themselves what they do it's not up to me to tell people how they should live but if i was working with a couple with that situation i would certainly raise that as a possibility is this what we're really talking about because if and if you live in close proximity to each other what would that mean to you because i i just the way i think about it if the feeling is there and you really want to be together, then you find a way of making it work in terms of careers and jobs and all of that. But, you know, I don't know. That might not be everybody's way of thinking about it, but I I guess I would want to talk about that with a couple who was experiencing that. You know, I mean, there are times clearly, you know, on a temporary basis where someone has to take a job somewhere else and how do you manage that? Obviously, then there are the issues about distance and how you make contact 
and obviously since this COVID business, everyone is getting used to the sort of Zoom thing and you can stay in touch that way. But then you have to deal with the sort of, um, you know, as it were, re-entry when you each meet again and it's almost like, are we then strangers and how do we renegotiate the relationship? You know, what's gone on for me during that period of absence? Um, you know, this, you know, and how do we reorientate each other or, or ourselves towards each other, mm-hmm. you know, um, after that distance and, uh, you know, I think that needs quite a lot of careful consideration, you know, because uh, it's it's putting another strain on the relationship, isn't it? But sometimes, as I say, that's inevitable. I was just thinking of, like, if you're in the army or whatever, you get posted abroad and you don't necessarily, uh, you know, take your wife and family with you or your partner or whatever. And so, you know, it's beyond your control. So again, and that people do report um, difficulties of well, when they do get together, you know, being aware that it isn't going to be just straightforward. Oh, right, we kind of come back together and we're really over the moon to see each other again. You might be tiptoeing around each other because you only see each other so rarely. Dealing with relationship communication and difficulty becomes even more problematic because you maybe think well we've got two weeks together and then we're not going to see each other for another three months you know um maybe nobody wants to rock the boat you know <laughs> and that can be really difficult i imagine you know it's not an easy one that so best avoid it if you can. <laughs> How do you communicate your sure. needs to your partner if he or she does not understand what you're trying to convey to them? Yeah, that's difficult, isn't it? Especially okay. with those of us, not me in particular, but those on the spectrum, I'm pretty sure you've talked with a lot of your clients who are... Sure. Who, don't know how to communicate, who don't know how to read facial expressions well. No, okay. So I, the only thing I, I, I found that is useful in this particular um, situation is that you do have to perhaps work a little bit harder to... Um, both be clear with your partner that you find it difficult to explain your thoughts and feelings so that you actually are acknowledging your need for their patience. So you say to them, well, actually, this is what I need from you at at this point in time. And also that it's not the fact that they might find it difficult to understand you is not something they're doing wrong. So there is a reality, you know, I think we, you have to be open about this. If that's your life situation, you are on the spectrum, you have to accept that reality and that whoever you have a relationship needs to accept that reality as well. So it isn't going to be the same as with someone who is more conventionally wired, as it were. Mm. That they, you know, so those those nonverbal cues are going to be missed. So you need your partner to explain very specifically what they mean. The, the thing is. When I was thinking about this, um, coming on this podcast, one of the things I remembered was that actually what we're talking about with the spectrum is something which probably a large percentage of the male population on the planet would be diagnosed with on, at some end of it, not maybe very far, I mean, I don't know how far, how far along the spectrum are. So, you know, it, the, the context in which I mainly deal with this, you know, is on 
with relationships and particularly heterosexual relationships where women are totally tuned in to nonverbal and uh, nuanced communication and men really on the whole aren't. So that, uh, you know, the common thing I hear from a lot of men, particularly if their wife suddenly comes in and says, look, you know, um, I want a divorce. And the guy will say, what did I do? What was wrong? I don't don't understand. Explain it to me. And there is a kind of reality to that. It's sad, but there is a reality to that. So coming back to it, so it's not so unusual. That's what I want to say. But, you know, in, in this situation, to try and explain it to your partner, I do need you to explain to you, to me, what is it you mean? You know, you say that you're not happy with what I'm doing. Tell me specifically, what is, what is it that I'm doing that makes you unhappy? Because, you know, you, I, I'm, I'm not going to be able to do the guesswork. And uh, so be clear about it. And it's not personal. It's not that I'm not committed to you mm-hmm. and to being an active partner in this relationship. It's just how I'm wired. Yeah. And uh, that's how and it That works. kind of goes into the next question, which is how do you talk with someone who doesn't understand what you're going through? Like, how do you let your partner know you have a hard time with things like noise and bright lights without hurting their feelings? Sure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's right. I think it's, there's no ducking it. Just, I think you have to be just very specific. So at the end of the day, if we, if we're going to have this relationship together, these are the things you have to know about me. Bright lights really are a problem for me. And I don't know if everything else in the relationship has a relatively firm foundation, that doesn't have to be a big issue. But, and it's not necessarily going to hurt your partner's feelings. As long as you're clear, it's a, it's an I statement. So it's, this is what life is like for me. And it's, and I feel that way whether I'm with you or whether I'm at work or whether I'm with my friends, I, I have that same experience. So I'm not blaming you for my experience. Okay. Um, just okay, moving on. Is it better to be subtle or straightforward when you're trying to get your point across to your partner? Um, ooh. I think probably in the way that you mean the question, I think um, straightforward is probably better. Again, (coughs) with the um, emphasis on expressing how you experience things. Okay. Rather than, and I think, yeah, that's, that's, uh, and certainly one of the things that happens is we're trying to put a point across to a partner and often in relationships, the way we do it is that we put a lot of pressure on our partner to understand us. That's so true. And then that's going to put the barriers up for the other person. The thing that I often say to couples is that understanding your partner is not the same as agreeing with them. (laughs) There's a difference. Because as you said um, earlier on, uh, you know, you expressed it in terms of the oil and the vinegar. Um, You know, we feel differently about things. And we have different preferences for things. And there are decisions that we have to make as a couple about different things. And the, those decisions can end up being quite loaded. And it's often, you know, um, putting my point across becomes an equivalent to feeling accepted in myself, the totality of my being, 
goes into that point that I'm trying to make for the partner, which could be something kind of crazily mundane, like what color we paint the walls, yeah, you know, or whatever, or where we go on holiday, or what food we're going to eat tonight, or any, you know, number of issues that kind of almost end up in the divorce yeah. courts, which are so trivial like that, you know. And so when you're putting your point across, be aware of what is it I want. Mostly what we want is to be accepted and understood. We don't need our partner to agree mm-hmm. with us. Does that, that make, make sense? Very much sense. I mean, moving on to a, okay. a different question, how do you know you're in a very stable relationship? I mean, how do you know it's not shaky? Interesting. How do you know it's stable enough that you and your partner are comfortable with each other, that nothing's going to fall apart on you? Sure. How I would judge that is if I am able to be myself to the extent that mm-hmm. I am, you know, whatever else is inhibiting me. So I don't feel I have to put on an act with my partner. Okay. Then I know it's, it has a stability. Um, looking at the relationship itself, is it, it has the capacity to withstand quite a measure of argument or disagreement. Um, that tells me that the relationship is stable. When we can state our perspectives without taking it personally, that's a stable relationship. It isn't, I think a lot of people get confused, you know, there can be relationships which have a kind of stability, um, like I'm thinking of my parents' relationship, where they basically pursued what I call parallel lives. (laughs) My dad had his interests, my mum had her interests. I guess they must have got along somehow. sounds like... There wasn't a lot. It sounds like my parents. My mom has her interests. My father had his interests. My mom would be in her bedroom reading. My father would be in the basement on the computer. That's right. Yeah. I mean, it's not wrong to have different interests. As we were saying, you need things outside the relationship, which also give you fulfillment and not everybody's interested in the same things. But you have to have some coming together some intimacy. You haven't mentioned the dreaded sex word, but I'm going to because that's important. Yeah. You know, one way or another. I mean, you know, because that's a, if you like, a barometer of what's happening in the relationship. How is the sex? How is the sex? I know you've got someone else coming on to talk about that. I actually just had her yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. Sex, I mean, you can't base a relationship on sex. I mean, no, you can't. But you could. But it can yeah. be a barometer of what's going on. And often, uh, I find that a lot of the metaphors that are going on in the couple relationship, uh, when I'm talking about um, different needs and different uh, wants, can be uh, quite sexual. In in um, I guess you know how graphic to be, but a lot of um, men are often talking about feeling accepted Mm -hmm. in a relationship and feeling good enough. And really, what's a good barometer of that is how accepted they feel sexually. And very interesting. Are their advances accepted, as it were? Anyway, we could talk more about that. Moving on, this is is a very important question. How do you deal with jealousy with your partner? Jealousy. The big okay. monster. Yeah. I say, hmm. I'm hesitating there because there's two different levels of jealousy. Okay. One is the sort of neurotic level of jealousy where that simply is a matter of insecurity. Mm. You know, if I don't feel confident of myself as uh, an an acceptably okay, attractive guy or whatever, whatever gender I 
identify with, then whatever attention my partner might pay to another person, I'm going to see as something suspicious, something that destabilizes me. Mm. (laughs) You know, know, uh, having said that, if there's, you know, I mean, obviously, this is these days. This is quite relationships are more negotiable. So, if we agree somewhere along the line in the relationship that it's okay to flirt with other people, or maybe even to have sex with other people, that's what we've agreed. And I'm assuming that that means that if my partner goes off and does that, I'm not going to feel jealous. I'm not sure how that works myself. I haven't ever been in a relationship like that. So, you know, I'm a bit old-fashioned in that respect. But there are plenty of people who do, and as I say, there's room for all sorts of possibilities in life. Um, You know, but obviously, if those kind of things aren't negotiated and someone does go off and have an affair with somebody, then jealousy is pretty inevitable, you know. So it depends, you know, whether there's cause for it objectively. And that can become quite a a contention. I was thinking about someone I was working with recently who has such an obsession with whether his partner is interested in somewhere, somebody else, that they end up, you know, doing things like taking lie detector tests and what (laughs) have you, you know. If it gets to that extent, you just think, this this is your issue, mate. You're insecure. And maybe you need to look at that. And, uh, yeah, that's what I think. Moving on to the last two questions. How do you ask your partner if they're happy in their relationship without hurting them? Mm. I guess for me, that would be a question of why you're asking the partner whether, whether they're happy or not. If I genuinely want to know, I don't know that that's going to be terribly hurtful. Or I might, I guess, have noticed that my partner might seem a little bit down or, you know, a bit um, upset about things. And I might ask her, you know, are you happy with our relationship? What's going on? That's not going to hurt her. If I'm doing it because I'm feeling like uh, worried that she's not happy, if I need her to be Mm -hmm. happy, then I, that can become a pressure, you know, on her to be happy, or depending on what the gender of the partner is. So you, you don't. It's it, it that that would make somebody hurt. I guess I don't know. Could be hurt, or they could be annoyed, or just upset by that. You know. So for me, it depends on why you want to know. All right. And the very last question is, how 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 do you? What signs are there for your, how to know, hey, how to know the signs that your partner isn't happy? Ah, and that's a tricky one, especially given, you know, that on the spectrum, it's difficult to read those cues. Okay. So I guess for me, there, there is something about accepting the reality of that and being clear with your partner so you say to him or her well look you know i'm not really good at reading these cues Mm -hmm. so you tell me if you're not happy another thing occurs to me as i'm saying that maybe it applies to the last question if some of these ideas that we're talking we've been talking about this evening if you're able to put them into practice then actually we could say that, you know, each partner is responsible for their own happiness. So if my partner is not telling me that they're unhappy, I assume that they are happy. 
And, you know, I, I don't think, I, I'm, I am quite uncomfortable when I think about it. You know, I gave all, off the top of my head answer to that last question, but, you know, I'm, I'm uncomfortable with the idea of second-guessing my mm-hmm. partner, you know. Um, you know, obviously, if, if I notice overtly that she's crying a lot or whatever, I would obviously think most people would construe that as a sense of something's upset. But, you know, I don't think it's my job to second-guess my partner and not her job to second-guess me, you know, if I feel unhappy or not kind of fulfilled or whatever it is in the relationship, then it's my job for my own well-being to raise that as an issue with my partner. And a good relationship should be able to um, accommodate that. All right. Well, anyways, Jeff, why don't you let people know how they can reach you online? And mm-hmm. Online? Okay. Well... I, my website is www.jeff, that's Jeff with a G, G-E-O-F-F, hyphen lamb, hyphen psychotherapist.com. All right. You can get me Anyways, on that. Jeff, thank you so much for coming on to the show and talking with me. And um, Oh, it's been a pleasure. Let's keep in touch. We will. Right. Okay. Thank you very much for inviting me. It was an absolute pleasure. Same I really here. enjoyed it. It was very, very informative. Okay. Well, I hope we've all learned something. You're welcome. Thank you. Have a great night, Jeff. I will. Right. And you. Cheers. Bye. Bye. We live on borrowed time. We live on.